Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. And the message is titled, Jesus is with us in the storm. Well, we're actually going to be looking at two incidents in the Gospel of Matthew where there was a literal storm that the disciples were having trouble with. And I'll talk to you about the characteristics of the Sea of Galilee and why those storms occur. Um, Jesus was with them, and they had trouble with their faith. They had fear at times. Uh, But Jesus did encourage them. And when I look at the prayer list, that blue form that we have, that you get bulletin every Sunday, I can see that many of you are going through storms as well. It could be a financial issue. It could be a health issue, an addictions issue, relationship issue, whatever the case may be. And I really hope this encourages you because the proverbial storms of life must come. But the question is, how do we respond to life when those storms do come? Well, one way is to be encouraged, to be encouraged to know that Jesus is with us through the storms of life. And I really hope this morning that this is going to encourage you. So a few things that were going on at the time, uh, I'll give you some characteristics of the Sea of Galilee, which is still there in northern Israel. It was also known as Lake Gennesaret or Lake Tiberias. And the names, listen, the geography, the topography is the same, but the names change depending on really who was in charge at the time. But the lake, the characteristics, fascinating. The lake measures 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. Now, I've lived in Middlesex County my whole adult life, and I was trying to just to kind of give you an idea of what the surface area of this water, this body of water were, that surface area of the, of the lake is about one-third the size of Middlesex County. So it's no little pond. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty big. Uh, the depth of it is somewhere between 150 and 190 feet deep. It's considered actually shallow compared to the oceans, and there's a reason I'm talking about that, and I'll get to that too. I'm not a big fan of deep water. I'm not a great swimmer. So to me, it's, it's deep. <laughs> um, it sits 700 feet below sea level, right? So where the oceans are level across the face of the earth, this is a very odd body of water because it sits 700 feet below sea, sea level, which makes it the lowest freshwater lake in the entire world. Now, this is what's going on. If you look at the, uh, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. And in the mountain area up above, you have cool, dry air. The coast is filled with hot, humid air. So what happens is, if you look at fluid dynamics and physics, is every so often that cool air, because hot air rises, cool air falls, the cool air literally comes down and finds its way to the center of this body of water, pushing that hot, humid air to the sides and up. And you can see, if you think about it in your mind, a billowing effect. Now, because the Sea of Galilee is not the ocean, collectively, um, it would take a lot, and there are storms on the ocean for different reasons, but because of this turbulent effect, 
the waves can be tremendous. Like you were in Deadliest Catch or something like that. The waves get really high when these storms take place, and then at some point it settles down. Now, sometimes the Sea of Galilee is extremely still, and sometimes it's extremely tumultuous. And folks, we can look at our lives like that. If we look at the boats, <laughs> that, and I'm going to show the boats in a moment, that were on the Sea of Galilee, they're not very big, they're not luxury liners, right? They were built by hand, and our lives are like those boats in a sea of the world's circumstances. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Flavius Josephus, the Roman historian, said this, that in the first century there was a thriving fishing industry with as many as 230 fishing boats working the lake catching fish. So that's uh, it's a big piece of real estate there, so to speak. Now if we can just look at the images, just to kind of, and I love to do this so you can see what we're talking about. What are we learning about? What are we talking about? This was when the, uh, during a very dry season and the water receded, they found this boat in the Sea of Galilee embedded in the sand, and they used a very interesting method with foam to lift it up and keep it from completely crumbling. But you can see it's a pretty large uh, boat. It's held together by support so it doesn't come apart, and you can see the people in relationship to the boat. Uh, now, this was actually dubbed, this was about 20 years ago, it was actually dubbed the Jesus boat. Now, we don't know that Jesus were actually, was actually on this boat, but everybody associates the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, right? Even secular people. It's fascinating. Next image. And this is a representation of when it was in good shape when they first built it, um, what the boat was like. Now, I'm not a boat person, so some of you can... I'm not going to embarrass myself with the, with the different nomenclature, although I think that's the mast, right? Uh, but... Some of these boats were big enough that there was actually, and deep enough, where there was a lower level for storage. And actually, we find Jesus sleeping uh, in one of the Gospels in this lower level. Next image. And this is another view of it that's a little brighter. But uh, this was a, a big find in the archaeological world. A big find. You could easily find this on secular sites. Of course, the boats today are much different. They're steel. They're mass-produced. Uh, because of technology and because of modernization. It's interesting, isn't it? So, let's look at the first event where the sea is stilled. If you turn with me to Matthew 8, 23. Matthew 8, 23. Through 27. And it says... That now when he got into the boat, Jesus, his disciples followed him. And suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey him. I, I'm glad to give you the, and I like to do this a lot, I do a lot of apologetics proving the existence of God and the veracity of the Bible. But initially the naysayers would look at this and say, it's a lake, how could you have these storms? Well, through modern um, meteorology and you know, weather study, 
it's, it's a very simple thing. They still have those storms today. But what's going on here? Well, we also find this in Mark 4 and Luke 8, this one account. So Jesus is in the boat, and a storm arises quickly, and the waves are covering the boat. And again, Jesus is asleep. Now, I find this comical. I love reading the scripture and finding some humor in it, in a good way, of course. Uh, so Jesus is sleeping, and they're starting to panic. And folks, at, at times in our lives, don't we feel that we are proverbially drowning? I mean, I've heard people say that through storms of life. I feel like I'm drowning. And you can see the anxiety and the tension on a person's demeanor. And it almost appears, and I say I'm going to be very selective with my words today and very careful, appears, it's not factual, it appears that God has no idea what's going on, right? And sometimes when we're at our worst and we're panicking, our feelings take over and it, it clouds truth. It, tr- it clouds actuality, unfortunately. In verse 25, the disciples said, say, Lord, save us, we are perishing. So Jesus is woken up from his sleep, and they have to inform him, and I, you stress that word, inform, that they're all going to die. How many times have we felt the need to tell God something in prayer that we didn't think he already knew? You know what I'm saying? Lord, do you see this situation? Do you see what you're laughing? Because we're, we're sinful. We're weak. We're frail. And boy, there's a lot of people responding to that one because we do it. Because we're, we're, we're not perfect, right? We have to sometimes let God know something that's going on that, that we think he doesn't know what's going on. And truthfully, they thought they were all going to die. Now, how many times have we thought, maybe once, twice, maybe more, I'm going to die. This is it. Okay, well, the fact that you're actually sitting here and breathing, <laughs> it means that you didn't die. You were wrong. You see what I'm saying? But Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, gives more details. It tells us that Jesus was asleep on a pillow. (laughs) I love the detail in the Scripture. He's the Son of God. This storm's not going to rattle him. Listen, it's probably a very busy day for the Son of God. You know, doing all those miracles and multiplying food, and every single day people are, you're healing them and you're forgiving their sins. Boy, when he crashed, he probably slept really, really good. So he's on a pillow And in Mark's gospel, the disciples actually say to him, check this out, do you not care that we are perishing? Right? (laughs) I see the responses. Do you not care, Lord? Do Do you see what they're doing to me? Do you see how I'm falsely being accused of this? And when we go through difficulties, we feel. And it sometimes clouds what we know to be the truth. God, you don't care. And listen, I'll just be honest with you. We come up to the pulpit and we have a calling and, you know, whoever comes up to this pulpit, we share the word of God with you. We try to encourage you. But don't think for a moment that we don't struggle too. You have financial issues. Sometimes we do. You have health issues. Sometimes we do. You have a relationship issue. Sometimes we do. And I don't know, maybe this is the transparency message, but we're not perfect. I'm going to tell you, if you ever go to a church where somebody from the pulpit acts or speaks as if they're perfect, go to another church because they're not telling you the truth. And quite frankly, perfection is something I don't have time to maintain. I'm a busy man. You know what I'm saying? I don't have time to maintain perfection because it's not even true. 
It's a, it's a facade that we would, a burden that we would be trying to hold up. But people feel depressed. They feel alone. They feel despondent. Sometimes they feel exhausted. And I have people, Christians, in the hallway that will take me aside and whisper to me because they don't want others to hear it. Well, th- I'm thankful that they trust me. Pastor, I got anxiety. Pastor, I'm exhausted. Pastor, I, I just, I don't have the will to go on anymore. It happens, doesn't it? Right? It happens. So, what does Jesus do next? Well, specifically for the Gospels, I mean, they were within arm's distance of Jesus Christ. They knew who He was. He told them who He was. Well, they got rebuked. (laughs) Jesus rebukes the disciples. Then He rebukes the storm. And why did He rebuke the disciples? Because the Lord was right there with Him, with them. He was right there. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in His promises? You know what I'm saying? I mean, nothing escapes God's notice. And I've said this facetiously, I've said this in hyperbole, but I just, could you imagine like God's in heaven and, and he's watching the events of the world and, and he goes, oh, Gabriel, I missed that. Why didn't you guys tell me that that was going on? I completely missed that. I could have done something about it. It's not the God we serve. He knows everything. He sees everything. He's aware of everything, even if we don't particularly feel it at the time. Who's being ministered right now by this message? (laughs) Okay. You know, sometimes the the storms test our faith. You know, sometimes the storms in life, the trials are a mirror to see that, you know what, my faith is probably not where it should be. And, you know, Jesus says that your faith will grow. You know, for some it starts out as a mustard seed, and that's awesome. Awesome. And it can grow and grow and grow. And just as we go through a journey of life, we go through a journey of faith. Our faith changes. You see what I'm saying? Now, when we take all three Gospels together, well, the disciples are rebuked for their lack of faith. But what? The faith in what? And that's where some modern preaching confuses things. You know, um, they've erroneously taken the idea of faith and used it for our advantage, for fleshly reasons. You know, we're not talking about faith that God's going to give us a new Cadillac or a bigger house or a promotion. That's all nonsense. That's not what he's talking about. The faith in God, the trust in God. Christ had to go to the cross. He wasn't going to die in a boat. And his disciples had to start the church. They weren't going to die in a storm. And they they missed that because they panicked. Now, Now, some would say... Well, they were, some of them were experienced fishermen, right. But, you know, fishermen die. Fishermen drown. Fishermen, listen, they didn't have life preservers back then. So they were, they were unsettled about what was going on. It was a nasty storm, and they were probably caught right in the middle of it. God's providence is very important. You know, God has everything under control. If I could read uh, Hebrews 11, 1 to you. Turn to Hebrews 11. Only verse 1, but this verse packs quite a punch. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if you saw the case for Christ, I saw it for the first time here Thursday night when we showed uh, movie night at the church. Um, And this guy was a journalist. He was an atheist. He was a very bright, he was a gifted investigator, won prizes. He's a real person. His name is Lee Strobel. And his wife becomes a Christian, and he goes on this secret mission to debunk Jesus. And in that mission, he's looking for evidence. He goes, literally, he goes to different states. He finds doctors, psychologists. He finds 
archaeologists, historians, and he's so frustrated because he doesn't want to believe. And at the end of his journey, I think somebody says to him, so how much evidence is enough for you? You know? And he, they even talk about some of the works of Shakespeare and other works that there was only maybe a hundred or a few hundred copies, but 25,000 manuscripts, whole and partial, of the New Testament only found throughout the world in, in Greek and Coptic and Latin. So there's evidence for God. This isn't this fairy tale, and, and people who say that are so ignorant of what the Bible teaches. I'll read this in the NIV, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says... Faith is being sure of what we hoped for and certain of what we do not see. I'm going to tell you how that impacts me directly. When I was a police officer, um, I would go into these situations. Um, some were natural disasters. Some were gas leaks. I was out there for Hurricane Sandy. And uh, there were times I would make a phone call with my wife first and then one of my associate pastors, and I'm making arrangements for if I don't come home that night. But you know what my arrangements were? My arrangements were that I know I'm going to be with the Lord if this happens, but the church needs to go on. The message of Christ, the message of the gospel, the message of love needs to continue, and you guys need to continue it. I wouldn't do that if my life was seconds from being taken from me, if it was a fairy tale. I'd be panicking. But I was very calm and collected with these phone calls and said, this is what I want to see for the future, because if I go, I'm gone. I'm going to be with Jesus. So that's how much I believe and still believe that if my life is taken from me, I know where I'm going in an instant, right? The Apostle Paul says to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord, simultaneous in a quickening, in, in a flashing of, a, of, of an eye, a, a twinkling of an eye. That's how quickly these things happen. So are we living our faith? You know, do we believe in the promises that God has for us? Now, the second event, if we can go to the second event, it gets even more interesting because Jesus walks on water and Peter, this is a very unusual type of miracle. Peter asked the Lord to command him to go out of the boat and he starts walking on water. This is fascinating. So if you would turn with me to Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. Matthew 14. Verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. You ever... You ever have a situation where you know that the Lord is calling you to do something and you do it and it seems like a disaster? Well, I'll keep reading. <laughs> now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. Is this still those superstitions, you know, even though they were with God? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Look at the contrast. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, and come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was distracted, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him 
and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? But when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So I can imagine Jesus saying, What do you think I've been telling you for all this time? (laughs) You're just coming to that conclusion? But, you know, I'm really into this. I am so relaxed up here because I think in, in ways I'm like, like Peter. Like, I, I want to I take chances, but I can be impetuous, but I want to make sure that the Lord is in it, you know. But it's exciting. It's, it's an exciting ride to be with the Lord and to be in this faith. It really is. Um, it, it isn't, some really cast the wrong picture of what Christianity is. Some of these cults where they're, they're miserable and they're hateful and they're, you know, that's not what Christianity is. That's a poor representation of Christianity. So we read this, and we also find this in Mark 6 and John 6. In verse 22, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat alone only to meet him on the other side. Sometimes God allows us to go through storms. Sometimes he sends us somewhere knowing that a storm will come. Now, I have to be very, very careful with my words. Very careful. God doesn't give us evil things. The Bible is very clear about that. God doesn't say, here, have some cancer. Here, have some, you know, you got assaulted. God doesn't do that. Okay, but he uses sometimes earthly circumstances to make something beautiful come out of it. The Bible says that he gives us beauty for ashes. He takes the things that are the most, um, it seems like there's no return. There's no way to come back from this. Ashes. There's nothing left at ashes. That's the end result of whatever got burned. And God brings and he makes beauty from ashes. So he can do amazing things even in the bad circumstances in our life. It could be a character builder. It could be a test of our faith. It could be to strengthen us. It could be a testing for ministry. I can tell you that when I wanted to be a pastor many years ago, God closed every door on me because I was not tested. And I went through some really difficult times. I'm not even saying I'm I'm perfected now. You know, the jury's out on that. I'm just being obedient to what the Lord says. I'm just doing what He's called me to do. And surely, He will test me more. (laughs) And surely, there will be more trials. This this doesn't... Listen, we live in a a fallen and sinful world. But God takes those circumstances and, and makes good things come out of those. So, very important there. In Matthew, Mark, and John's Gospels, the disciples were fearful, but Jesus said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Folks, let that sink in for a moment. It's like Jesus saying, It's me. I'm here. That small voice, that whisper. You're going through a trial. You ever go through a trial and just everything seems like it's just crashing down on you? And, and you, you sense the Lord is with you. You sense he's there in the darkness. You know, when, when we were little, um, I, I live in a, a very rural part of the, of the county, and sometimes I would go for a walk with my son on a very dark, dark road, and he was little. And he would always want to make sure that I was, because, you know, for a kid, the dark is scary. He was dead. I'm here. And just the whispers gave him comfort. You still there? I'm right here. I'm not leaving you. Um, and and it's, it's the same thing with the Lord. We go through dark times. And just to know that the Lord is there. I'm here. You know? And I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian, you can sense that. And sometimes you just pray, Lord, I, I just need something, Lord. I need, I'm just, 
I feel like I, I got run over by the bus and he turned around and ran me over again. Lord, I need something here. And he will. Ask for that mercy. Ask for that, that reprieve. You know, ask for, you know, you, because, but he's always there. He's there in those dark times. And that's the beauty of our relationship with him. Now, we saw rebuke, discipline. We also see encouragement here. So you see a difference. There's a transition going on. But God is that perfect parent. Because, you know, sometimes we need to be told we're not doing the right thing. But, you know, we've been going through the book of Isaiah. We're up to, uh, I think, chapter 40 at this point. And uh, you always see, even with the judgment, there's always a glimmer of light. There's always a proverbial silver lining in that book. You, you just, if you read it, you can find it. It's there everywhere. Whatever difficulties are going on, God gives us encouragement. And that's beautiful. And that's, that's what life is, folks. Life is a series of ups and downs. And I know, I know, there's many ministries on TV that people watch, and it's always positive. But that's not reality. Reality is ups and downs. Trials, right? Verse 28, Matthew's, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 28, Matthew's Gospel. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to walk on the water. That's fascinating. Peter doesn't just get out of the boat. He sees Jesus, there's a, there's a connection there, and he doesn't just jump out of the boat. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me. Now, there's methods of prayer today where basically we tell God what to do, or we have to tell God something specifically. Like, he can't figure it out on his own. Like, he doesn't know the desire of our hearts. Like, we have to articulate something that we want, and it's like a mantra, and we say it over and over and over again until God gives it to us. You know, Peter was willing to take a step of faith, but he also wanted to make sure the Lord was in it. I'm willing to take a step of faith, but I also want to make sure the Lord is in it. You know, I don't want to do something that I think it's in my flesh, and it's a tremendous blunder, especially when it comes to the church, because I'm responsible for this church. Christ is my head, and he guides me, the Holy Spirit, but I like taking a step of faith, but I also want to make sure that, it's, that God is good with it, that it isn't just me doing it. And that's the beauty of Peter, willing to take those chances. But what happens to Peter? What happens to Peter? You know, he's focused on Jesus. He's walking on water. He probably looks at his feet and goes, I can't believe this. He's looking, he hears the howling of the wind. He goes, Hi, I'm, walking on, I'm walking on water towards Jesus. Then he starts getting overcome with, and don't we? circumstances, trials, we start to become, now we're distracted again. We're fo- when we're focused on the Lord, we're walking on water. When we're distracted, we start to sink. And, and it was, a, it was a, a perpetual thing. It just it encompassed Peter, where he, he was not focusing on the Lord again. And he, and he started to sink, and he begged out, Lord, save me. And Jesus catches him and pulls him out, and they end up going back into the boat. Fascinating. You know, in Mark 24... And I've heard this quoted a lot lately. Uh, Jesus is dealing with a parent of a a possessed child. And he's asking the father. He's crying out. Could you imagine? When your children are afflicted, we we cry out. We'd rather it happen to us. And he cries out to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Oh, Pastor Joe, you just exposed another one of those thousands of contradictions in the Scripture. The scripture's not contradicted. The man's feelings were contradicted, folks. And sometimes we can be a walking contradiction, can't we? 
You know, we want to believe. We, we want to serve. We want to, and, and we're, we're kind of, we're over here. And then we're, kind of, you know, and, and these things happen. And why? Fear, feelings, um, circumstances start to distract us from what we, what the Lord has for us. So, and we can be like this. Lord, I believe. Yes, he, he knew that Jesus could do this. But help me with my unbelief because he wasn't, all, he wasn't there all the way. And you know what I love when people are honest? You see it all through the Scripture with the Lord Jesus. Lord, I, I believe. I, I reason to believe that 95% at the end of this day, my kid's going to be fine. But there's 5% of me, Lord, that's still doubting. And we can be like that. We can be a contradiction. But it's the human condition. I think the biggest lie to tell people who come up to receive Jesus is that your life is going to be perfect from now on. Yeah, that's a lie. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that. And if you want to get into ministry, the testing process is not fun. But but it's, it's a beautiful journey. It's a beautiful... Where would the character build... Where would we be without the character builders? I don't. I wouldn't have won. I remember me when I first became a Christian. So does my wife, um, and I wasn't. I wasn't right, you know. And as much as I wouldn't want to go through that again, I see why the Lord did it. And if it happens next year, you can remind me when I'm like, "Oh, this is terrible." Remember what you said, Pastor Joe, in May 2018. So you can remind me of that. But Mark four, the disciples are straining at rowing. Jesus is watching them, and he would have passed them by. Right? He doesn't intervene right away. He waits till the fourth watch of the night to come over to them and start to interact with them. And wait a minute, they've been struggling for all that time. Ah, God's timing. Do we always love God's timing? No. We would love God's timing if it was instantaneous, but it isn't always instantaneous. And and he has his reasons for that, and we have to trust him. Jesus waited. He waited. He waited. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came over to them to see what they were doing. But, again, we might say to ourselves, you know, where are you, God? I, I've been praying about this. And you say to pray, and I've been praying for weeks, and I've been praying for months, and, oh, Lord, I, I just, I'm so tired, Lord, I'm so tired. And God says, well, pray some more. Keep praying. Keep trusting me. You know, and so, some may mock you and say, where is your God? Look what you're going through. Oh, it's okay. They don't understand. Let them say that. When Job, in the book of Job, uh, he was mocked, and eventually the three friends that sat with him started giving him a hard time. Everybody was giving him a hard time. His wife, his friends, and God had to set things straight at, the, at, the, at pretty much the end of the book there. But God's timing, it would be great if it always happened right away. It would be great as, at every time we answered the prayer, immediately would be, or we asked about prayer, and we asked for something, immediately would be answered. But it doesn't always happen like that. He has his reasons. In all three Gospels, when Jesus gets into the boat, what happens? The storm ceases. And in John's Gospel, they actually end up at their destination. And it says that they willingly received him into the boat. The storm ceases. And I've said this before. You ever deal with something that's so loud? And I'll tell you something. I've been in, I, was, <laughs> I was on patrol during Hurricane Sandy. And uh, my crew and I are watching... Telephone poles on Route 30, 130, boom, boom, boom. Okay, so it's wet, <laughs> it's windy, we're shutting roads down, traffic lights aren't working, people are asking us for directions. Uh, and, uh, and, and now telephone poles are coming down and the wires are in the, in, on the wet ground. That was one of the days I didn't think I was going to make it. Um, but 
I, I just said, all right, Lord, I know what, whatever your will is, I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, but it was, it was it's, listen, we get scared, right? It's part, of, it's part of our emotional system. So they willingly received him into the boat at the end. And my question to you is, have you willingly received him into the boat of your life? Because you know what? There was a storm. Jesus is with them. Some time goes by, there's another storm, and Jesus is with them. And even in the book of Acts, when, when Jesus has, was ascended into heaven, there was problems in the early church. You know, many of the disciples were martyred. They were killed for their faith. But you know what? If you read their works, there was so much joy in their hearts, knowing that they served the Lord. And if you know the Lord, and, and I'm looking at this, the prayer request, and I see things on here. Again, I see financial problems, I see sicknesses, I see loneliness, I see addictions, I see prodigals, and, and on and on and on. And sometimes we see answered prayer in here, and that's a wonderful thing. But if you know the Lord, are you willingly receiving Him into the boat? You know, are you, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that if you've received Jesus, you know He's with you? And just like the child who's walking in the darkness and wants to know if his or her dad or mom is with him, you know, he calls out. Still there, dad? And that's what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to keep coming to us. He wants us to continue with that relationship. And, and you can ask for small things. You can ask for mercy. You can ask for a reprieve. And just keep asking. Now, if you don't know the Lord, you really can't be in the boat with Jesus if you don't know Jesus. If you're here this morning, you might have come to this church, you might have heard a, a street preacher, you might have had relatives hound you about it's so important to be a Christian, and everything's starting to line up now. But you have to understand that, you know, God gave us free will. We can choose to accept Him or we can choose to reject Him. So I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, and maybe every time the altar call happens, you're stirred inside. Don't wait. Don't delay. I know. Listen, I say it, and then people come to me and go, what you say from the pulpit is right. Because you know what? I lived it. I experienced it. I remember the altar call where I went forward, and I thought, all the thoughts. My family, how are they going to take this? You know, how's it going to happen at work? Are they going to make fun? Just all kinds of silly stuff. But I, my wife and I, we went forward together to receive Jesus, and you know what? We never looked back. So I want to encourage you. Jesus is with us in the storms. But for those of you who don't know Jesus yet, why would you want to go through the storms alone? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.